If you could map your life, put it on some kind of a grid, some kind of a plane, and maybe just draw a straight line across a piece of paper, and, and you were to chart out key pivotal mile markers in your life, not just age and not just simply circumstances, but literally those, those times in life that you, you stop, you pause, you rearrange, you reprioritize, you, you live differently. Sometimes if you've got the line on the, in the middle of the page, sometimes there's some events that happen that are above the line and you go, wow, that was awesome. That was great. I hope I have more of those moments. And it was uh, just an epic, epic season of your life and you're forever changed. Then there are those times that you have to mark below the line. They're in the negatives. They're, in the, they're, they're, the, they're the ones that you hope never come back around. It could be a doctor's report that you get. It could be a job loss. It could be a, a broken relationship. Any number of things will put you over and above, above and below the line at different times in your life. And if you were to map it out, and could you identify key mile markers that change the trajectory of your life. I want you to just think about that. Put that on the side. And I want you to tell you, about, tell you about a man who had one of those moments while he was sitting on the couch, actually. It wasn't in this life moment out, out there or in the job or in a relationship. It's while he was sitting on a couch realizing that he, his sedentary life had caught up with him. His life of nothingness, his life of doing nothing had caught up with him. And he had this, this inspiration to go from the couch to a 5K. Now, this was long before the app came along. And many of y'all have even used the app. I know people have used the app quite successful. How to go from the couch to doing a 5K. Well, that's exactly what this man did. Committed himself to running a 5K and he got out there, he trained, he disciplined, and he was able to run a 5K. Check that off the bucket list. Go back to the couch. Not at all. He actually thought that wasn't so bad. I think I could do more. I think I got more in me. So he, next goal was a 10K. Let's double it. He ran a 10K. Then, wow, I, I ran a 10K and it didn't kill me. Uh, and so he looked again and he said, what else is out there? He skipped over the half marathon and he went straight to the full marathon. Okay, the 26.2 miles of running, which I have never even dreamt or will dream or that will be a nightmare of ever running a marathon. And this guy has said he's gone from the couch to a 5K to a 10K to now a marathon. And he runs it. And it doesn't kill him either. And so he thinks, what else is out there that I might be able to run? So he looks out in the western part of the states and he finds that there is a hundred mile race. A hundred miles, not a hundred kilometers. That's for the wimps, okay? A hundred mile race. And he thinks, I think I can do it. And so he has to run a trial race of running up to 50 miles in under nine hours. Imagine running for nine. I can't even fathom running 50 miles, let alone running for nine hours. Well, he meets the goal, is able to enter the race and runs the race. Finishes the 100-mile race and says, what else is out there? And so he looks out there and he finds a 200-mile relay race that he's going to enter into and he's going to run this relay race. And what it is is you run for 5.5 miles, then you hand the baton off and then the next guy runs and then you rest, recover and get back out and run a little bit later on. And he decides he's going to run the 200 mile race without relay. He's going to run all 200 miles. 
So he does exactly that. And as he crosses the finish line at 200 miles, he says, I've got more in the tank. He goes back to the starting line and runs a marathon in full. You can read about that in the Ultra Marathon Man or Crazy Man, whatever you want to call that book. But uh, can you imagine going from the couch to a 200-mile relay to a 26-mile marathon immediately following? What was the guy thinking? That was a moment. And let me say this. It wasn't the 200-mile or it wasn't the 26-mile run after that that was the stake in the ground, pivotal moment in his life. It was actually when he was sitting on the couch. And he decided one day that I'm tired of this life. He put a stake in the ground. He put a flag. It was a flagship moment in his life. And he said, there will be a change because there is one thing for certain. You cannot run a 5K sitting on a couch. And you cannot run 100 miles or 200 miles or anything else sitting on a couch. You've got to get off the couch. And I want you to think about flagship moments in your life. I have flagship moments in my life. There's a flagship moment in my life that happened when I was a teenager. As a sophomore in high school, to be exact, it was in January, the latter part of January of my sophomore year. And so those of you who are in high school, junior high, those of you who are in their student ministry, and you think, okay, I'm going to wait for God to move in my life way down the road. I can tell you there's a stake in the ground on the story of my life that I look back to to this day when I tell my life story and I'm still in my 40s, barely, but I'm still in my 40s. And I look back to my sophomore year, January of high school, to a flagship moment in my life that I put a stake in the ground and that was forever changed my life. And you know what it was? It was when I I went from believing in Jesus to following Jesus. Believing in Jesus to following Jesus. It was a revolutionary moment in my life, and I want to make it very clear that doctrinally, you, there, there are some people who cannot separate the two out, and I get it, and I understand it, and I'm with you, and I'm tracking with you. When I was eight years old, I walked down an aisle, I took a preacher by the hand, I went home, prayed with my mother, I got baptized, all that kind of stuff, and I still look back at that moment as the moment in my life where that was a very important moment in my life. But, 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 there was a moment when I believed in Jesus then, but there was a moment later on when I became... A full-on, full-out, all-in, all, everything's on the table, follower of Jesus, and that was in January of my sophomore year. And at that time, it became very serious in what I was about. And when I say became, went from a believer to a follower, I want you to hear in that, that following Jesus means movement, means forward progress. Not sideways energy, not stalling out at belief, and not just staying there and hanging out there. It means forward motion. You cannot, Henry Blackaby says, you cannot go with God and stay where you're at. You cannot go with God and stay where you're at. The mere word follow gives uh, uh, the idea or communicates the idea or is built into the idea that there is movement. I am moving with Jesus. Jesus is leading the way and I am going with him. We're talking about this whole chase thing and living the life that, we, that God intended us to live. And it is not in some, some cave of beliefism over here, some safety of, of, of I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. The chase is where I am pursuing I am chasing, I am longing for, I am moving with Jesus as he moves and as he moves in me. And we need to understand where are we on the journeys of our life? 
the journeys of our faith. Are we pursuing a life that God intended us to live? Or are we just kind of sitting back, just waiting for life to come at us, and then maybe or maybe or not, God will be a part of that. See, here's a life myth, and you don't want to miss this. We have this, if I believe that then I will become a Christian and then I'll be safe. It's almost as if I, I make this decision back here when I'm a kid or uh, I go through catechism or I go through some kind of class and, and I nod off to that. And literally, maybe it's not off in it, but you nod off. Yes, I agree with this. And then you move into this. Okay, I can carry the label. I can wear the flag. I can get the T-shirt. I'm a Christian, okay? And I can declare that I'm a Christian. I can fill out a survey. I'm a Christian. I can tell my friends I'm a Christian. And now I'm safe. And we have this kind of certificate of, of mindset that, that I'm safe from hell. Uh, I'm safe. I got my fire insurance policy. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm okay. And that's a myth. That's a lie of Satan. As we saw even last Sunday and last Sunday's message, that even the spirits of God knew who Jesus was. They trembled at who Jesus was. And not a person in this room is going to say that that the evil spirits of this world are, are followers of Jesus. So there has to be a difference. Don't believe the, the myth. Don't believe the lie. Believe plus Becoming a Christian plus is a, equals a safe life. Realize this. This is the real truth, that I need to be a disciple. And when I'm a disciple, I'm going to follow Jesus. And when I follow Jesus, it's going to take me into the unknown. It's going to take me sometimes into the unfamiliar. It may even take you into the unsafe, as you might look at it from outward appearances. But but to, to be a disciple means I am being transformed from the inside out where religion wants to conform us from the outside in. And what, what, what being a disciple is, is being changed from the inside out. And as I'm being changed, I'm also following in line with Jesus. And as I'm following in line with Jesus, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know where tomorrow is going. And I'm following Jesus into the unknown. And it's a, that's why when, it, when people get bored with their Christian faith, they go, no, 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 no. You don't know what you're talking about. Because there's nothing boring about following Jesus. There's nothing play it safe about following Jesus. This is what Erwin McManus said. He said, if our children are going to walk away from Christ, we, as parents, need to raise them in such a way that they understand that to walk away from Jesus is to walk away from a life of risk, uh, a faith of risk and adventure, and to choose a life that is boring, mundane, and ordinary. I don't think any of us wants the boring, the mundane, and the ordinary. And let me tell you this, following Jesus, not boring. It's all about faith. It's all about risk. It's all about adventure. There's nothing boring about it. You think about it for a moment with just the stories that we know, the basic Bible stories. What is one of the stories when Peter was in the boat and Jesus comes walking on the water? What happens in that scenario, in that situation? When, what does Peter say? Peter, call me and I'll come. Jesus calls him and what does Peter do? He steps out on the water. 
He steps out into the unknown. He does something that nobody else has ever done before. He does something that nobody's been able to replicate in our times. He does something. He steps out into the unknown. No, 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 I know, I know, you know, and I know. We all know the rest of the story. He sinks and he's an embarrassment and and all that kind of stuff. But listen, Peter experienced God, Jesus, in a way that the other 11 bystanders never did. He felt the waves lapping around his ankles. He heard the call of Jesus' voice. He even longed for the call of his voice to call him out of the safety and the comfort of a boat and to step into the water. He longed for that, and he he took the invitation to follow Jesus. And that invitation was a beautiful experience, even though I know we know the rest of the story. It ends up because he took his eyes off of Jesus. But what did Peter do? He at least experienced Jesus in four dimensions. When the other disciples were in the boat critiquing and analyzing and, and calling him a radical, calling him a crazy, if you will, for doing what he was doing. And the word radical is a Latin word that we get the word rooted in. Because for some of your people, for some of you, what, what, what looks like radical, what Peter stepping out in the water is, is really, it's not radical because it's just rooted. It's just, I so believe in you, Jesus, that you're not going to fail me. And even when Peter sank, Jesus still swooped in and rescued him. Here's another example. Abram, we know the story of Abram. Abram was, uh, was in the land of Ur. He was, in this, he was with his family. He was with his inheritance. He was with everything comfortable and familiar and everything that he knew about life was there. But what does God do to Abram? He says, I want you to go from where you know what you know and everything you know about what you know to a land I will show you. This is what it says in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. He said to Abram, go from the country, from your kindred, from your father's house, leave everything that you know, everything safe and safe and secure, and to a land that I will show you. To the unknown, to the unsafe, to the unfamiliar. To follow Jesus is to be and to live an adventure like you've never lived before in your life. And I want to challenge you. What what this chase is about is a chase out of the comfortable and in to the uncomfortable. Out of the easy and in to the difficult. Out of the cheap and in to the costly. The following the Jesus that we're talking about is not passive. It's aggressive. Okay? It doesn't just happen. You have to be intentional. There's so many ways I can compare and contrast. But here's another thing. So we as a, how did this whole series get birth? It was a two-year, it's been a two-year process. So uh, two years ago, I was getting ready to go on my study break, and I was asking the disciples, I was asking the disciples, I was asking the, the staff, the pastoral team, I was asking them, what is the greatest need in our church? I said, do not consort with one another, do not collaborate, do not send your emails to uh, reply all, I want you to reply directly to me, because I didn't want anybody influencing anybody, and so they all sent them to me, and overwhelming, overwhelmingly, the answer came back, our church is lacking in discipleship. 
Now, if one person had said that, I would have said, okay, yeah, I'm good, put it on the shelf. But when 90% of the pastors say that, I think we got to dive into this. And so for the past two years, we have been on a journey to figure this out. And you know what? Every time we turn around, we are finding more and more evidence that we, as Grace Point Church, hang on to this because it's going to apply to you if you're a part of this church. We, as Grace Point Church, are lacking in what it means to be a disciple. And so we come back around the table and we sit down and we say, okay, okay, everybody tell me what it means to be a disciple. And it was so funny and sad at the same time. As you have a room full of pastors of passionate individuals who love God and love Jesus and love you and want to pour themselves into you, but we could not even agree on one definition of what it meant to be a disciple. And so we can't even agree on what it means to be a disciple. No wonder we don't know what a disciple is and how to have them in our church. So now we go on a whole other journey to come up with one simple sentence of what it means to be a disciple. And after we think we got it all perfect and lined out, we take it to the deacons and we share it with the deacons. And they added one word. And I think that one word is the icing that completes it. It's the word becoming. It says process. It says journey. It says steps. It says sequence. It means movement. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not where I ought to be. I'm not where I'm going to be. But thank God I ain't where I was kind of thing. You know, it's like I, I'm moving somewhere. There's, I'm becoming something. What am I becoming? Here's, the, here's, our, here's our definition. And you can ask any of our staff members. Or you can ask any of our deacons. This is what, becoming a fully obedient multiplier following Jesus. I know that's not earth-shattering and all that kind of stuff, but I can tell you this. What we're about, what we're going to be about, what we're going to continue to be about, what we're going to reinvent ourselves to be about is about this, helping everyone become a fully obedient follower, a multiplier following Jesus. And I could break down every one of those words in this series is all about that and this whole year is going to be all about that. And how are we going to make ourselves, how am I going to make myself better at becoming a fully obedient? That means there's not one area of my life that isn't surrendered to God. If God shows this area of my life, if God shows me an attitude, if God shows me an action, if God shows me a broken relationship, that I'm going to become fully obedient in every area of my life. And I'm going to multiply that because I'm going to be a disciple to make a disciple. I'm going to be a disciple to make a disciple. I'm going to be a disciple to make a disciple. And that's what I'm going to be about, following Jesus. So we're just dealing with following Jesus in this series. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Take your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 4. We've talked about how this invitation is given 20 different times in the Gospels, in the four Gospels of the New Testament. 20 different times, and we're going to look at them. We're peeling apart one by one, week by week. But I want to take you to one event that happens and is recorded in two different Gospels, and it's recorded differently or more fully in one versus the other, but you've got to kind of see it in contrast. So Matthew gives us kind of a a Cliff Notes version of it, okay? of what Jesus was calling when he was calling and doing with his disciples and how they responded to his invitation to be a fully obedient multiplier following Jesus. So what what did that mean? What did that look like? And how did they get there? So Matthew doesn't give us much, just Crypt Notes version. In fact, when you read this, and let me just read it to you, and then we'll go to Luke because we'll be there in a second. We're going to read Luke's version of it, and it's going to be a lot more detailed, but let's read this one. Chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, 
he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew. So there are two brothers there casting out their nets into the sea for they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. That's what fishermen did. That's what the fishermen were doing on that day. That's what they're doing. And Jesus said, hey, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Pretty quick invitation, right? Pretty, uh, if you're on a date with Jesus, that's pretty forward, aren't you, Jesus? A little quick on the first date here. Uh, and what did they do? Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now you might be looking at that and say, man, I wish I had the faith of Peter and Andrew. I mean, Jesus walks up, they're casting, they're doing this, and he says, hey, follow me. Hang on, let's keep on going. Because the story goes on, it goes to James and John. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, again, two-brother combination here, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother. And in the boat, Zebedee, their father. So now there's three of them in the boat. The father's in the boat, and James and John are in the boat, mending their nets, and he called to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father. And I think it was a little bit irresponsible, right? Like, Dad, okay, thanks for the business, the family business, but hey, well, we're gone, deuces, we're out of here. That's pretty much what they do. It's what it looks like anyway. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now, again, I wish I could have that kind of level of faith, but it doesn't happen that way. There are steps that Matthew, not unintentionally, it just wasn't his intent in his writing, there are steps that happen here that we can't miss. And you today, here's your goal. Number one goal today is to figure out what step you're at and what step you need to take. And then the question is going to obviously be, are you ready to take that step? Let's look at it in Luke so here's Luke. Luke's the historian. He's the one who is the most detailed of all the Gospels. He writes the Gospel of Luke. He turns around and writes the Gospel, uh, excuse me, the, 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 the book of Acts. It is the most comprehensive of all, and we have it all. Chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him. We talked about the crowd last week. We'll talk about them again this week because you all are part of the crowd. As far as I know, everyone's a part of the crowd. I don't know that anybody, okay, you, you get the point. You were here last week. Uh, to hear the word of God. That's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing to be a part of the crowd. Not a crowd to be pressing in because they want to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret. Now, the Gennesaret Lake, what he's talking about here is the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Lake of Tiberias. It's called, called the Lake of Gennesaret. And it's in the northwest corner of the, la- of, of the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake. And the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing, washing, washing their nets, if you're from Arkansas, washing if you're from everywhere else. Uh, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's boat, by the way, and he asked him to put out from, a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Strategic, because they were all crashing in around him, pressing in around him. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now, Simon was just an innocent bystander here. Yeah, he was using his boat, but here's what happens. Put out into the deeper and let's drop down the nets for a catch. Notice what Peter does here. And si- or Simon, excuse me, he's still Simon. He's not Peter yet. Simon answered, Master. Now, that's a term of respect. There was nothing disrespectful about that at all. It's actually a term of endearment and, and respect, of, uh, like you're a teacher, you're a master teacher. Everyone's listening to you. We know who you are. We've been following you from, here we go. And we toiled all night. This is not, man, we, we, we've been going all night 
long and took nothing. I'm going to have to go and explain to my wife, there's no food for the kids. I'm going to have to go to my marketeers. I'm going to have to go to the people in the market street that I sell my fish to. And I'm going to have to tell them, hey, nothing. There's an economic ripple effect here. The city's going to suffer because there's no food. The family's going to suffer. He doesn't have any source of income. You, You see the story going up here. He says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, you can just hear baked into that is a lot of unbelief, but a surrendered obedience nonetheless. And they had done this. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their, their, their partners, whose partners, James and John, who are on the beach mending their nets, to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boat as they began to sink. And when Simon and Peter saw it, they fell down on his knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. He didn't call him master. This time he calls him Lord. For he And all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish and they had taken. And and they were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee and the partners uh, with Simon and Jesus and said to Simon, do not be afraid. Now, here's what Jesus says to them. I am from now on, you will be catchers of men. And they brought their boats and, 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 and they had brought their boats to land. They left everything and they followed him. The full story. So it unpacks it. Now let's unpack it for just a, a, a quick minute here as, 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 you, as, as we understand this. Because here's what I want you to see. The progression of following Jesus. There's a progression. There's some steps. What step are you at? The very first step that we all need to get at is whenever we're going to come in here or we're going to come to the Word of God or we're going to come to the teaching of God and we're going to set still and we're going to listen deeply. Sit still and listen deeply. I don't want to skip over verse 1, and I don't want to make a lie of the crowd. Notice what the crowd's intentions, their motive was. While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. They knew that Jesus held the word of God. They knew that when he taught it, there was such power and conviction. They wanted to hear. They wanted to get close. And there's nothing wrong with being a part of the crowd. That's the first step, okay? You get here and you hear. Now, what's bad is when you stay here and you never move to here. But let's talk about here for just a moment more. Because when you think about here, you're thinking about a crowd of people. And God tells us, or we're encouraged in Scripture again and again, that we need to be before we do. We talked about that last week. Well, whenever you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, you're listening to the Word of God, and it's being taught, or you're reading it yourself, you're a self-feeder at home, and you're reading it yourself, guess what? You're sitting still, you're listening, God speaks to you. How do I know that? It happens all the time to me. It happens all the time to a lot of people I know. In fact, the Bible even says that faith comes by hearing in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You want to know the, you want to have a growing faith? Hear the Word of God. 
It'll help grow your faith. It's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, and so many other places, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Hearing is so important. Our faith is based on a knowledge, not on a feeling. It's based on truth, not just some hunch. Yes, is there faith involved? Absolutely. But there is something about this story that has stood the test of time that if I lean into it, God will speak to me. And I don't need to just sit and just let it pour over me. I need to sit and let it sink into me. Let it transform me. Let it make something of me. Let it do something to me. Let it change me. So be a part of the crowd. There's nothing wrong with being a part of the crowd. But if you stay a part of the crowd and you don't move to the next, then we're in trouble. Let me show you. I'm going to show you just how clearly God's Word speaks. Okay? Take your Bible and open to the book of Proverbs. So now you can go way back in the Old Testament. We're going to pick out the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. And we're going to literally do a Bible study right here, right now. Proverbs 3. I'm going to read it once. Then I'm going to have you read it, okay? And you may have a different translation than me. That's okay. You follow along and notice the diversity in the translations. That's a very helpful thing to do. Chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 6. So just listen right now. Just listen, but listen be still and listen. What did I say? Deeply. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And he, he will make straight your paths. I want you to read it now. Ready? Let's go. Trust in the Lord. Now here's, here's, here's a little bit of a secret. It's not a secret at all. What jumped off the page at you? Was it the word trust? Trust in the Lord? You trust in a lot of things. You trust in your job to be there tomorrow when you get there. You trust your home to be there when you get there. You trust your car to get you out of the parking lot. When you leave, you trust in a lot of things. But do you trust in the Lord? Trust in the Lord? What was it? What was it with all your heart? Because for some of you, it may not be with, it may be a little bit of your heart, but not all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Wow. But I can rationalize a lot of things out in my mind. And I can figure that all out and I can do the math on it. It doesn't compute God. If it doesn't compute, then I'm not going to do it. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Wow. That's just not 90%. That's 100%. 100% students. moms and dads? Is there anything in the closet of your life right now that nobody else knows about but you? 
that you need to bring out and you need to acknowledge to God. And what does he say he's going to do? He's going to steer our paths. He's going to help us navigate. Because remember, following him is a movement. He's going to guide our path. Now, all I did was read through that. All you did is read through that. All I did is read back through it, but put a little narrative with it. What did God say to you? If I took a survey right now, I would guarantee you, I'd put my money on it if I was a betting man, and I'm not a betting man. I would put my money on the fact that 80% of you heard one phrase that jumped off the page that is leaping in your heart right now that God's saying, you're not trusting me with all your heart. You're trusting me, but you're not acknowledging me with all your ways. He's speaking to you. That's what I'm trying to say, is that God wants to talk to us. He wants to be in our life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So you've got to come and you've got to sit and you've got to get still and you've got to listen. Number two, first step, come, sit, and listen. Now here's here's the problem. Oh, please, because you're in this room and I know know you're in this room because you're in every room. Some of y'all can sit here week after week after week after week after week after week after week in your little in your little seat. And you can hear God talk, but you've learned how to ignore him. How to turn him down. You get in the car as fast as you can, turn up the music, get home as fast as you can, watch something. You're on Facebook right now, on Twitter, you're you're doing Instagram right now, because you don't want to hear what he has to say to you. Next step is live open-handed with God. Live open-handed with God. The idea that while Peter is sitting here by the seaside and he's like, Jesus says, hey, I want to get in your boat. I told you last week, Peter, uh, Jesus didn't own a boat. He just had friends with boats. And that's a good, that's a good philosophy on life. So wives, use that on your husbands. Um, Jesus gets into this boat. Whose boat was it? It was Peter's boat. Because here's a sickness, a disease that is killing us as Americans. I'll focus on America right now. And we got to be aware of this disease that is, that is permeating through our culture and our homes and our televisions and our media and our, and our lifestyles. And it's, it's, it's this disease that will kill us from the inside out. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 warns us of a disease such as this. Do not fear those that will kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body. The word narcissism that permeates through our culture comes from the Greek mythology of Narciss who was a handsome young man who caught his reflection in a pool of water. And while looking into this pool of water and admiring and falling in love with himself, he ends up in this Greek mythology falling into the water and drowning himself. We live in a culture where we're so obsessed with ourself. We have this excessive love for ourself that what we are doing is we are drowning our souls in it. Because this is what we do. We live our faith like this. I hear you, God. The next step is to live like this with God, but instead we want to go like this with God and say, God, smile on my life now. When God 
is wanting us to do this. Open-handed. Our times, our talents, our resources. What does Jesus do? Don't miss this. You can skip over it very quickly if you're not careful. Jesus is by the water. He gets to the edge of the boat. He's pressed against by the people. In verse 3, he says, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land. To put out a little from the land. So he, he takes a borrowed boat, the borrowed boat of Simon. Simon didn't say, you know, Jesus, I'm really tired. I've been working hard all night. I, I tell you what, you just stand here by my boat and the people won't crush you. Okay, you stand here, but I don't have time for you, God. I don't have resources for you, God. Excuse me, my hands should be like this. I, I'm too busy, God. I don't have energy for you, God. I've been working all night, God. I got all kinds of excuses. I got more excuses all about serving me. I don't have anything to give you, God. Master. Peter gave him his boat. We all have time. We all have talents. We all have resources. Are we going to live like this with them or this with them? Live open-handedly with what God has given us. Andy Stanley calls this phase the inconvenience phase because God is going to inconvenience you at this step. He's going to get involved in your junk. He's going to want some of your time. He's going to expect some of your money. He's going to want some of your energy. He's going to expect you to carve off times and days and I don't know what he's going to ask of you. We have this challenge around here constantly of serve one, worship one. We challenged everyone last week. Hey, are you worshiping? Are you serving? We're having a Hope in WA Day where we're just going to love on foster families next a couple of weeks away on September the 9th. And you know, one of the complaints I heard, kid you not, it's the first Razorback home game. Narcissism. May the Razorbacks lose. You heard it first here. Number three. So whenever you let Christ lead you beyond the familiar to the extraordinary. I really should say beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary. See, the disciples were professional fishermen. <laughs> if you notice that it's a second generation at least with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, because Zebedee was in the boat with them. So he may have been even training them to, to take over the family business. And you see this business partnership between the two boats of, of James and John and Peter and Andrew, and they're working there side by side. And so you see this, this there's, a, there's a lot of experience fishing. And Jesus asked him to do something that they've done a thousand times before. Ask him to do it. Ask him to do it again. And see, whenever we've heard from God, and we do this with God, then we're ready to take that next step of extraordinary work of God in us. 
And so as this, as this story unfolds, it's, it's kind of an incredible story in verse 3. So again, I emphasize, he calls him master. He said, master, we've been doing it all night. <sighs> you can almost hear the sigh in the middle of that. But because you said to do it, we'll do it. And when they had done it, I love it, the fish come to the point that the nets begin to break. And then they call James and John in the boat, get their boat out there. And then they fill up one boat and then they fill up another boat. There's two boats completely full. I mean, can you imagine what's going on in this story? And, and in this story, I mean, Peter doesn't stand up from this. Hey, P- Jesus, you want a partnership with us? You want to get in the fish boat business with us? You want to you catch fish with us? No, 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 no. Notice the response that Peter said, Simon, excuse me, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. He went from calling him master to now calling him Lord. There's something that happens when you encounter Jesus. When you encounter him, not just in the head, but in the heart. You encounter him in your life whenever you've heard him and you respond, yes, God. And then you step that next step into the extraordinary. Even though you may have done it 101 times before, but you say, yes, God, I'm going to, I'm going to step out in obedience. And all of a sudden you experience Jesus, you experience God in a way that you've never experienced in the other thousands of times that you've done it. But Peter's focus was not on the fish. It was on his own heart. I'm a sinner. Notice that? Fill up two boats. They went hungry the night before, two boats full. Nearly, nearly sank the ship two times. It wasn't about the fish. I'm telling you, it wasn't about the miracle. It was about Peter's heart. That was the extraordinary work that happened. So Peter says, I'm a sinful person, Lord. I think of another story in the scriptures. Whenever Isaiah was in the temple and he was mourning the, king of, he was mourning the death of King Uzziah, and he says he's, he's looking at, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And when he sees the Lord high and lifted up, he all of a sudden looks and here's this prophet of God. And he says, woe is me for I am undone. And I live among the people that are undone. Our lips are dirty. Our lives are dirty. Our, they're not what they ought to be. Here's what I'm saying. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. When you encounter, listen to Jesus, hear Jesus, whenever you open your life up to whatever he wants to do, time, resources, whatever, everything's yours, God, it's all yours, then he can do extraordinary things in our life. And what happens to Isaiah? Isaiah becomes one of the greatest prophets of Israel. The Lord turns around and says, who can I go and who who will go for me? What does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. And that's exactly what God does. What does Peter do? Peter experiences Jesus and he becomes more of less of a master and more of the Lord in his life. And when he becomes the Lord in his life, what does Peter do? Peter leads a movement that is alive and well today called the church. And you can read about that in Matthew 16. God does extraordinary things in our lives. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate some of the extraordinary startings of God's working in people's lives through a baptism Sunday. And for some of you all here today, you may be like, okay, Mike, I'm hearing God today. 
And he's asking for my whole life, not part of it. And I, I think I'm ready. Do exactly what Isaiah did. Do exactly what Peter did. Confess your sins to him. Let him make you whole and complete. And let him do extraordinary works in you because you've given your life to him. Right where you're at. You can pray the prayer of Isaiah. You can pray the prayer of, uh, of, of, of Peter. You can pray your own prayer. Lord, I need you. I want you. I long for you. I want to follow you. I'm tired of just listening. I'm tired of talking and battling and tug of warring with you about my, my life. I'm ready to do this so you can do this, so you can make me clean and right and whole and complete. So that step number four is this, that we leave your past to live God's perfect plan. It happened in Peter. It happened in Isaiah. God is not just wanting you, as, as David Platt said in his book, Follow Me. The, the call to follow Jesus is not simply an invitation to pray a prayer. It's a summons to lose our lives. Now, I say, I lose my life. No, 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 no. Realize when you're following Jesus, it's not your plans anymore. It's not your life anymore. It's His. And then He gets to do His beautiful work. And so what He said there at the end is this to them. He had one line. Jesus had one line. Verse 10. I can't read all, all of it. It says, Do not be afraid. From now on, speaking of their future, Speaking of their future, where they're going, from now on, you'll be catching men. And then what do they do? They went back, they got their boats to the land, no more than they got their boats to the land. Then they followed him. There's a progression. Where are you at today? Where are you at? In this progression of faith and the faith journey, because ultimately, if you are not in that process of making disciples that makes disciples, because that's what we're called to. We're called to be a disciple who makes disciples. And it's not just being a disciple and getting your life all cleaned up and getting all the, the, the darkness out. No, no, no. I am a disciple to make a disciple. I am a disciple to make a disciple here in Northwest Arkansas, to the nations, to the world, who wherever I am a disciple to make a disciple. And if I can quote from Platt one more time in his book called Radical, we used to give it out to all of our our members. Disinfecting Christians involves isolating them, teaching them to be good. That's not what we're talking about. Discipling Christians involves propelling Christians into the world. That's discipleship. It's not just sitting and listening. That's the first step. Where are you at in the process? I can tell you this. You will not run a 5K sitting on a couch. You'll not run a marathon sitting on a couch. You're going to need to get up out of the seat and start following Jesus. Would you bow your heads? I, I want you to think deeply. You've listened. Thank you for listening. I want you to think deeply. And I want you to answer 
this singular question. What's my next step? What's my next step? Maybe it's stop tuning God out. Start opening up those hands, those heart, your life. Maybe it's experiencing the transforming work of God in our hearts, being born again. I'm going to pray in a minute. All around this room, up on the landing area, across the front here, there's going to be pastors, there's going to be deacons, the the spouses. These are some of my prayer partners. When I have something I need to pray for, I go to these people. These are my peeps. Maybe you'll go to one of them and you'll just say, I have not been following Jesus and I'm ready to get serious about it. And then maybe you're here and you've been holding back and holding out and it's time to become a disciple who makes disciples. Father God, you know our hearts. I pray we don't miss you. I pray we don't tune you out, turn you off. I don't think we don't walk away from you, Lord. And just become part of the crowd and stay a part of the crowd. But move us, Lord, to the next step in what it means to follow you today. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All around the room, we'll be prayer partners. Stand together, let's worship, sing together, and just respond. In that next step, move to however the Lord speaks to you.